today we are going to see that Halloween comes a little early. Uh, not that we celebrate Halloween uh, or make a big deal out of it here. But Luke chapter 8 verse 26 tells us of this guy, the Gerasene demoniac who was possessed by possibly thousands of demons, uh, who was a very scary individual who encounters Jesus and his life is changed forever. Luke 8, 26 through 39. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it, in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart, to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, I want you to imagine if Jesus was speaking to you right here Today, these same words that he spoke to this former demoniac. I want you to return to your home and to your people, people with whom you interact daily, and I want you to declare how much God has done for you. What would you share with the people of your home? Now, one person saw my uh, title and exclaimed, Jesus has done everything for me. A better question would be, what hasn't he done for me? And that person was exactly correct in saying that. But that's not the answer I want this morning. I want you as an individual to be very specific. Not general, but specific. What has Jesus specifically done for you as an individual? How much has the Lord done for you? 
Now to assist you in answering this question, we're going to be looking at the experience of this demoniac here in Luke chapter 8. And I want you to compare his experience of Jesus with your experience of Jesus. Now some of you may be thinking, well, how in the world can I compare myself to a man who came to be possessed by a multitude of demons. Now, the, the demons called themselves legion because they were many. A legion, a Roman legion was something in the neighborhood of 6,000 soldiers. So we don't know if, if uh, there were 6,000 demons in this man or 2,000 demons because there were 2,000 pigs that rushed over the hillside with all the demons uh, possessing them. But... Whether there were 6,000, 2,000, there was a multitude of demons in this man. And uh, thankfully, uh, no one here seems to, be, uh, to have had that kind of experience at, fir at uh, first blush. Uh, but this man, how do we identify with one who was overtaken by so much evil that he wasn't even in his right mind or even in control of his body because the demons would take over and drive him into isolation, into, it says desert there, but it's in an isolated place. The man was running around a cemetery naked. And uh, if you look at the other Matthew and Mark's um, uh, accounts of this event, uh, he was covered in blood because he would cut himself with rocks and so he was bleeding and there was dried blood and there were scabs and scars and he's naked and dirty and he's screaming, shrieking like a banshee from hell. And anybody who came near was terrorized by this bloody, naked, crazy man who was possessed by demons. And he was a serious physical threat because he was able to break chains and shackles that were meant to bind him. Well, I realize that no one here can compare to this man's experience of large-scale demon possession. However, his need for salvation and the manner in which Jesus saves him is no different than anyone's experience, need or experience of salvation. You need salvation as much as this man needed salvation. Yes, this man was apparently involved in some deep, deep wickedness and evil that would put him into a position to be so utterly demonized, but the punishment of hell that he faced for his sins is no different than the punishment of hell you face for your sins. And unless Jesus intervenes in your life, as he did in the demoniac's life, the fate of a demoniac or any other sinner is the same. The wages of all sin, no matter how socially acceptable and respectable our sins are, the wages of sin is always death. So unless you have experienced the salvation that Jesus brought into this world, you face the same lake of fire into which the devil and his demons will be thrown. Now, no one in their right mind would want that, and I certainly don't want that for myself or anyone else. But the good news is that Jesus did something about this common need we all have. 
You, me, the demoniac. Luke has written this gospel for us to give us a well-researched record of all that Jesus did to bring salvation into the world so that we could have certainty about the things pertaining to salvation. So what did Jesus do? How much has Jesus done for us? How much has Jesus done for you and me to rescue us from this common fate that we share as sinners so that we could be saved? Well, first, let's look at this account through the eyes of this demoniac just to recount what he experienced as he's there in the tombs. Um, day after day, the word, uh, or uh, the first thing, you know, he's going about his normal day, as, uh, which is not very normal for most human beings, but he's there in the tombs, uh, terrorizing anyone that comes along. And the first thing that he encounters is Jesus getting off the boat and speaking to him as this man, perhaps under the influence of the demons, rushes up to Jesus in order to probably terrorize these newcomers to the shore. Jesus is the first one to speak. Verse 29 tells us that. Jesus commands the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And at the sight and words of Jesus, the man cries out and falls down before Jesus. The word cry out is a word that is used for a cry of injustice or terror. Isn't that great? This, these many demons in this man fall down before the, the feet of Jesus in terror and injustice. It's not fair. And here's what they're crying about. It's not fair that you're come to torture us before the time. That's uh, added by the other gospel writers. It's not time for you to come torture us yet, Jesus. It's not time for you to come punishment punish us yet well, what have you to do with us right now we're we're you go mind your own business the man cries out under the influence of these demons the greek word is krazo which is an onomatopoeia an onomatopoeia is a, a word that sounds like what it describes it's kind of like the word croak or uh, you know a scream or a cry these are uh, these have an element of onomatopoeia to them so there's a, a cry of, of terror and, and, uh, at the sight of Jesus. And here's a man whose body is under control of demons and he had such supernatural strength that he can break chains and shackles. Yet before Jesus, the demons cower in fear. They have no authority or power over Jesus, who is the Son of the Most High God. They were correct when they said that about him. And they begged Jesus, as I said, not to torment them before it is time and not to throw them into the abyss where the devil and his demons are bound. Revelation talks about that. They have no choice but to depart from this man as Jesus commanded. They try to make a bargain with Jesus. They uh, say, hey, you know, we know we're going to get thrown out of this man. But hey, can you do us a favor and you know, allow us to go where we want to go? We don't want to leave this place. They end up leaving because the pigs see to their demise. But then, after the demons are cast out of this man, we find him clothed in his right mind and sitting there at the feet of Jesus. What an experience 
this man had. Yet, it is not really different than the experience of anyone who is saved by Jesus. Let's break down the salvation, the demoniac, and any Christian experiences. The first thing we see here is that Jesus reveals himself to his people. You know, think of this man's miserable existence. And I love the way Mark puts it in this account, in his account, in in Mark chapter 5. Mark 5, 5 says, Night and day, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Night and day, in misery, no relief in sight. But then the next verse in Mark 5 tells us that he saw Jesus from afar. He saw Jesus from afar and he ran to him. Now, perhaps he and the demons thought that they were simply rushing to terrorize their next victim, but had no idea what was about to happen in his life. He saw Jesus, first of all. And then, in just a matter of a few minutes, apparently, his life was completely changed. He, had, he couldn't see it coming at all. And bam, Jesus enters into the scene. Jesus reveals himself to the man. It's no accident that Jesus shows up on this shore. It's no accident that he, he came right to that one man. Jesus knew all along what was going to happen. It reminds us of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul's going on his merry way, seeking to persecute the church, and then bam, he encounters Jesus, and his life is completely turned around, a complete and total change. Now maybe you can identify with those two experiences, a a radical change all of a sudden in your life. As light enters in, light entered into that man's life, that demoniac's life, just as light entered into Paul's life all of a sudden. And maybe that's happened to you. But for most of you, you probably have a a little different experience. Perhaps you were raised in the church, you had a Christian family. Um, That's probably the, the majority of you here today. And uh, so the light didn't just break in on you all of a sudden, but the light did break in on you. It was just like the dawn. It was a little slower like the dawn. Either way, light. Sometimes salvation is a flash of light. Sometimes it's like the rising of the sun. Either way, Jesus must reveal himself to you. That's universal. Look at, look, flip over to chapter 10, verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. 
If you see it and you hear it and you apprehend Jesus today, it's because Jesus showed up on the shores of your life and revealed himself to you. He shined a light on you, whether it came as a brilliant flash like a bolt of lightning or whether it was, came like the rising of the sun in the morning. Jesus revealed himself to you. You were blind, unsuspecting in many ways until Jesus woke you up, turned on the lights, brought life into your dead soul. And nobody asked him to. Nobody asked. Nobody from the Gerasenes or Gadarenes or, you know, the translations of that place are different. Uh, no one asked Jesus to come there. That man, who knows, he wasn't even in his right mind, but yet here Jesus comes to him. And it certainly was not a coincidence. And the same is true of you. It's not a coincidence that you're here today. Maybe the Lord is breaking into your life here today. Well, the second thing we see happening to this man is Jesus speaks his word. Jesus speaks his word to the man and to his people. Um, you know, as I said before, Jesus was the one that spoke first. He spoke the word. He commanded the demons to come out of the man. And, and they did. Jesus' word is what saved that man. His command to those demons. His, his intervention by his word was what saved him. And the same is true of any believer. You're saved by hearing the word of Christ. Jesus speaks first. His word goes out and we hear it. He gives us ears to hear. Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You can't be saved apart from the gospel, this announcement of good news. You have to know that you're a sinner. You have to know that there's a Savior and that there's, there's a solution for your sin problem. You, you've got to be informed of that. And God in his sovereign will has brought the gospel into your life. The word, somehow or another, you were able to receive it and hear it. I love Frank Barker, who uh, was a PCA pastor, Presbyterian pastor up in Birmingham, Alabama. He planted Briarwood Presbyterian Church. He got saved while he was in seminary. He was studying to be a preacher, and that's where he became a Christian. So he's wanting to be a preacher before he was even a Christian. And, and I can't remember all the details of how he came to faith in Christ and heard the gospel for the first time. He said, I was so mad that, that, I had, that no one had ever told me this before, that I had never heard the gospel before. And then he went back and started looking at the books that he'd been studying all along, and it was all right there. He'd read it many times. He just didn't have ears to hear it. The Lord opened his ears so that he could hear the word of Christ, so that he could hear the gospel and, and accept it. Now, in Matthew's account of, of, this, uh, of this account, in Matthew's gospel, there are two demoniacs. And some people say, oh, well, can, you know, this is, shows that the Bible's not true. I don't think so. Obviously, I don't think so, because I believe this is God's word. But I believe there were two demoniacs. Luke, uh, Luke and Mark only record the... Uh, the, the one demoniac because he's the one who actually comes to faith. I believe that the second demoniac, the demons were cast out of him, but he didn't sit at the feet of Jesus. 
Maybe he departed. Think of the ten lepers. You know, remember ten lepers asked Jesus to heal them. He healed the ten, but only one came back. And he says to him, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, this demoniac was the one that was saved. And that's why Luke and Mark focus in on just the one. Matthew says two, but I fear for that other demoniac that he, he went away. And as Jesus says, you know, people who have demons cast out of them and, and Jesus doesn't fill their hearts, well, the demons come back and bring a bunch of their friends. And they find the house all swept and ready for them to come right back in. So who knows what happened to that poor second demoniac. But this one, his life was filled with Jesus because he, he was able to hear the word of Christ. And he was sitting there at the feet of Jesus longing to be with him. So Jesus speaks his word to his people. He spoke his word to you. He's the one that gave you ears to hear the gospel if you've ever heard the good news of Jesus and embraced it. Well, thirdly, Jesus breaks the power of evil over his people. You see uh, that Jesus does it. This is like one of Mike Tyson's early fights. You know, he would come out when he was like 19, 20, and, and, and these guys would come, and, and he would be like in 30 seconds, he would have knocked somebody on their, uh, on their back completely out of it. It was no match, complete obliteration. And that's what Jesus does here to these demons. And it's even worse than Mike Tyson. That's probably a poor example. But here's Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. He's come to bring his kingdom in. And the kingdom of Satan and evil, has no ma it's no match for Jesus. They're cowering in fear at Jesus. And they do whatever he tells them to do, whatever he gives them permission to do. They, they have no other power in, in the face of Jesus. And Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. That's what 1 John 3 tells us. Whoever, uh, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And as we said before, we're all, by nature, under the influence of evil. We're sinners in our hearts. Ephesians 2, Paul says, You were dead in sins and trespasses, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's another way of describing Satan, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. All of us are included in that, and Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise, Jesus, partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This man was enslaved. Jesus freed him from his bondage to evil and sin. And it's no different from any of us. Jesus must intervene in our lives. He's come to, to rid us of Sin, bondage to sin, and ultimately even the presence of sin. So Jesus, Jesus breaks the power of evil for his people, and he's done that for us. Fourthly, Jesus restores his people. Simply put, this man is a new creation. He, he's something new, and that's true of us. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He's more human now. He wasn't even like a, a human being before. Sin had, and evil had so taken over his life, and you see that in our culture today. People become less human. 
when they're involved in sin. We're more like the perfect human when Christ comes in. We become like Christ, a new creature in Christ. What would your life be like without Jesus? No one knows. It would probably not be good if he removed all restraint, keeping us back from being as bad as we could be. Well, that's the experience of the demoniac, but let's back up just a little bit in just a few moments we have uh, and look at what Jesus did beforehand to save because not a lot of people think about that, but, you know, you, you remember, like this demoniac would recount, you know, wh- what happened to you? Well, I saw this man, and, and I went to him, and my life has been changed through all that happened, transpired in that moment. But Jesus started working on that man a long time before that the demoniac actually experienced it. Because Jesus told the disciples, hey, let's get in a boat and go across the lake. Well, he goes across the lake, he gets out of the boat, the man comes to him, he casts out the demons, the, the, people, the townspeople come around, uh, and then they ask him to leave, he gets back in the boat, goes back across the lake. He came all that way, through the storm, almost dying, for one man, for one Gentile, demoniac man who was so full of evil he was no longer in control of his body or his life. Jesus made a special trip for this man. Jesus made a special trip for all of us. He became a man. He left his throne at the right hand of God and he, and he took a special trip just to save us. And he went, you know, to the demoniac. He risked his life through the storm in order to get to that shore so he could save that man. Well, not only did he risk his life for us, he laid down his life for us. He, he died in our place in order to save us. We don't often think about what Jesus did beforehand, but while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. I've given you a hymn there, uh, a a poem, actually. It's a hymn in our hymn book. It's by that guy, Anonymous. But it, it speaks to this. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. You've got to think about that a little bit. I sought the Lord, yes. But then I figured out he'd actually wouldn't work him beforehand. He moved my soul to start seeking him. It was not I that found you, O Savior true. No, I was found by you, by thee. I was found of thee. You found me first. You re- you, thou didst reach forth thy hand and mine enfold. I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. T'was not so much that I on thee took hold as thou, dear Lord, on me. I find, I walk, I love, but, oh, the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee, for thou wert longhand before with my soul, always thou lovest me. Same is true of that demoniac. He could sing this before he knew anything, before he ever saw Jesus or even knew that Jesus existed. Jesus had a plan to go and save that man. And the same is true for anybody that's a believer today. Before you even aware that Jesus was working, he started working in you. Maybe you can even go back now 
as a Christian and, and, and think of times in your life that Jesus was working, the Holy Spirit was working in your life, drawing you to himself. And you weren't even aware of it. Maybe you resisted it. But Jesus broke through. Well, how much has the Lord done for you? How much has he done for you? He has broken into your life. He has come with his salvation. He has done so much for you. How do you react to that? Well, look at what the demoniac did. Verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. You know, how do you know if you really apprehend how much Jesus has done for you? Well, you want to be with him. You want to be close to him. You want to, you want to follow him. You want to be connected to him. And God has given us, Christ has given us many ways that we can do that. Through prayer and through his word, we can hear from him. Through gathering together uh, in, the, in the fellowship of believers in church, through the sacraments where we experience the means of grace. These are ways that we can commune with the Lord, to be close to him. Do you, do you love those things? Do you love to be close to the Lord? Do you desire to be with him? That's the mark of people who really understand how much Jesus has done to save them. Or are you like the townspeople? They, uh, verse 37, all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. You know, do you want Jesus to be near you, or do you want Jesus to just leave you alone? Well, those who experience this great salvation, of course, should want Jesus to be close to them. Sometimes, we lose our first love. Sometimes our hearts grow cold. And that's why I'm reminding you of these things today. So that you can remember how much the Lord has done for you. But if you think, well, maybe I've never really experienced this. Well, be assured that Jesus has the grace to save the worst of sinners. Maybe you think, well, I've been really bad and the Lord can't save me. Well, just look at the demoniac. This dude had thousands of demons living in his body because he was so wicked. And Jesus saved him. He had compassion on that man. And he has the power to save the worst sinners and to completely transform their lives. And the same is true for anybody, anybody who comes to him. And as you experience that, as you uh, come to faith in Christ, as you who are already saved have a deeper apprehension of what Jesus has done for you, well... Go out and tell everybody how much he's done for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for how much you have done for us. We pray, Lord, that we would have a deeper appreciation of that. Pray that our, the love that we have for you would be white hot and, and that we would not fall into just a mediocre lackluster love for you. But Lord, we pray that as we contemplate the good news of Jesus who's come to save sinners, that we would be filled with the joy of salvation and the gratitude for how much you have done for us and that that would fuel our service to you and for your kingdom and that we would turn away from the things of this world that drive us away from you and that we would continuously lean upon you, come to you, 
walk in your ways and in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.